by way of brief introduction for those of you who do not know me, especially uh, freshmen, students, and uh, parents of Hope College, my name is Father Nick Monco, and I'm the associate pastor here at St. Francis, uh, but my full-time work is at Hope College as chaplain to the St. Uh, Benedict Institute. And there I'm to just help the spiritual lives of the students, faculty, and, and staff. And I've been there for four years already, and uh, it's been wonderful, and I'm, I'm looking forward to year number five, which we begin Tuesday. Today in our, re- our readings, we hear a number of things in all the readings about God's Word, or about the commandments, or about keeping the law. And two questions that come to mind from these readings are, first, what is the the purpose of God's word? What is the purpose of his revelation? That's one. And secondly, what are we supposed to do with it? And I think part of the reason these questions came to me is because I saw a news story uh, this week Um, which sounds like something out of The the Onion, uh, but it's actually true. Um, Harvard uh, University this past week elected a new chief chaplain, so all the 40 chaplains vote on the the chief chaplain, and they voted on an atheist chaplain as the new chief. Um, And it just sort of made a lot of headlines, as as you can imagine. And I, you know... uh, so I got his book, and I've been reading. I'm 80% of the way through his, his book, um, Good Without God, um, that kind of explains itself. But uh, it prompted you know, a lot of these questions. What is the good of Revelation? And I, and I think that election and that book, I think in, in many ways confront, in a powerful way, what we encounter in our readings today. Now, first, just just to note, like, you know, students, I I hope to see you around a lot this year. And, you know, as any of the returning students can tell you, you know, I'm not perfect and I I have flaws, you know, and, you know, the other chaplains at Hope have flaws. But but just remember in your moments of dissatisfaction, things could be worse. You could be at Harvard. (laughs) So... So what is, is this sort of purpose of, of revelation? And I think, considering that question, I, I think we can consider it in, in sort of the very broad 30,000-foot sense of the, the question, and then in a very sort of concrete, down-to-earth way. And I think in, in the very broadest sense, the purpose of revelation is to reveal the nature, or the existence, the nature, and the love of one that we, in a sense, are are very separated from. And so it makes known in language that we can understand a reality that is ever present to us, but we cannot see with ordinary human sight. And in particular, what Revelation does as it tells us the story of how God has been acting in human history, how his love means to concretely change this world. 
And that's what, you know, we hear in the Gospel, in the Gospel of John, you know, that we are born not of flesh or by the will of man, but by the will of God, those who believe in Jesus. And that's what, what James is talking about in our second reading today. He willed to give us birth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so what, what God is revealing is a new identity and a new reality that he wishes to give us as adopted children, adopted sons and daughters. And not just in name, like, I'm going to call you son now because I want to. But children resemble their parents, you know, a chip off the old block. And so what God reveals is not just what he wishes to call us, but what he wishes to make us like himself, he who is love, in his very essence. And that's sort of the, the broad scope. And so God does these things, he speaks these things through his word. His word actually creates reality, it doesn't just describe it. His word creates reality, but then he describes that reality for us so that we can consciously participate in it. Because our consent and our Cooperation is, is required. So that's the, the broad understanding. But God also wants to, in a particular way, help us live that out. So for the, for the chosen people of Israel, they get this identity as, as the chosen people. God frees them from the land of slavery of Egypt and, and brings them to the promised land. And in the first reading, Moses is, you know, they've got the commandments that God is asking them and says, okay, you know, you're going to... You're going to live this out. And the commands are very particular, very particular. Um, but what they're meant to do in being conscious of them and consciously obeying them, they're meant to sort of shape the Jewish people and their consciousness of, you know, how they're to live. And to give one famous example, there's, there's the rule that... Uh, we know that contemporary Jews don't uh, mix uh, uh, meat and cheese. Well, that goes back to a, a rule in Scripture which says you, you should not cook a, a kid, a, a baby you know, goat or lamb, in its mother's milk. And well, what's the purpose of that? And concretely, what it makes people do when you're conscious of that rule, you know, you have a small farm, you have a, just a couple of lambs and goats and that sort of thing, and use them for milk and for meat. To have that rule in mind makes you conscious of the right ordering of creation. That creation has a purpose apart from just our use. And so it reminds people of the dignity and, and the order that creation, that creation has. It's a moral formation. And that might be something that's really easy to miss. Even things that shouldn't be as easy to miss can be missed. And I think this is one of the things that, you know, in, in listening to uh, Greg Epstein, who's the, the Harvard chaplain, and listening to his book, one of the things that sort of jumps out is, you know, so he agrees, okay, murder, bad, adultery, bad, stealing, bad, good. Um, but he misses some other things, you know. He says, I love doing weddings. I love doing weddings. They're great when people are committed, you know, to an exclusive relationship wonderful. 
But he says, of course, they should, they should live together before marriage first, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, they're compatible with each other and that sort of thing. And, you know, I mean, for a man who claims to believe in science and evidence, you know, all of the, the sociological evidence is that's a terrible idea. That it dramatically increases your chance of divorce. And he endorses the worst kind of it. There's, there's two kinds. There's the, okay, we're going to get engaged and live together before marriage, and the, we're not going to get engaged and live together before marriage. The second kind is much, much worse in terms of leading to divorce down the line, and yet he thinks it's a good idea. Contrary to the, the science. So there, I mean, there are two ways to know that that's a bad idea. You can, you can look at the sociological evidence, which has been connected through multiple studies, you know, or you could listen to Jesus, you know, sort of the cheat sheet version, you know, where he talks about unchastity, you know, avoid that, that's no bueno. And, and this brings up something that St. Thomas Aquinas says about faith that I think is so important. He says, it's the great equalizer. It's the great intellectual equalizer because he says an old, uneducated washerwoman can know more about God with more certainty than the greatest philosopher who ever lived. And I think that's St. Thomas's beautiful appreciation for what faith can do and how it can ennoble us and can give us literally the mind of Christ about things because we choose to believe in the one who has loved us so much that he suffered and died for our sake. So what do we do with that faith? We have to live it out and to live it out in concrete ways. And this is where I will give Epstein credit. In his book, he does not think that you know, he does not defend his, his atheist humanist position as just a way of, you know, get out of jail free card so he doesn't have to do anything. That's, that's, not, that's not apparent in his writing at all. It's the opposite. He says, you know, we need to do lots of things. We need to help other people. He said, just in writing his book, you know, he had this evangelical drive to do it, to, to share his, his good news with people. But he said, I had a lot of fear, fear failure. And yet, he forced himself to confront that fear and get over himself to do what he thought was a good thing for other people. And so there's this, this concrete way that we're, we're certainly not called to do any less than him. And again, he's, he doesn't believe in this God who, who loves him and has given his own life for him and promises him have heaven. You know, he's he doing this sort of on his own. How much more can we do? But that love has to be concrete. Now, Jesus talks about the, the commandments, you know, and how we choose to live those out, how we choose to treat others, speaking the truth, respecting their persons, their property, their integrity, worshiping God, coming to Mass. And perhaps in a particular way, in the little ways that, that we treat each other, which sometimes require real sacrifice and self-denial. I'll just leave you with an example that I encountered in this, this past year from one of my Dominican brothers. So I cook on Thursdays. That's my day to cook for the community. And, uh, you know, so I came home late and I'm, you know, rushing through the cooking process and, you know, all this sort of thing. And, you know, get dinner out late, of course. And, 
kind of tired. And so we had dinner and had our evening prayer together. And then after evening prayer, one of the brothers said, Nick, can I, can I talk to you privately for a bit? And I said, sure. So we went into this empty room and he says, um, he said, brother, I want you to do me a favor. He said, I want you to let me help you uh, cook, especially when you're rushed. I, I chop things, you know, do whatever. Let, let, let me help you cook. He said, because, you know, he's like, I've been having some digestion issues and, and some of your chicken tonight was undercooked. And so after dinner, I threw up. He said, I'm not mad about it. He's like, but I just, you know, I understand, you know, you're very busy at Hope and, and attending people. Let me help you cook. And I was incredibly moved by that charity, you know. Because <laughs> not only was dinner late, it wasn't even done. Uh, <laughs> and, and his response was, let me help you. And I think it's that, that kind of charity towards each other, even when we don't have reason to be charitable in, in a human sense, that we're called to have charity towards others. And that's not just the example that Jesus gives us, but that he himself, through faith, gives us the love we need to carry it out.